1741. Call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. there and get him out as soon as possible. What is important is that we get him out before he talks. Or I should say, you get him out. He's got to be crazy. Just how did your colonel expect anyone to get in there? No mistake, Lieutenant. This is the headquarters of the Fairmount Health Control. Colonel Weissner, field security. Bishop of Harpen. Here's that one. Any suggestion? I think they'll stand a lot better chance outside than we will in here. I hear there was some excitement in the village tonight. Actually, there were five British agents dressed in German uniform. British agents? Why wasn't I informed? I'm informing you now, Lieutenant. Pull out now, Lord Sword. Save yourselves, Over. You must be joking. Over and out. Maybe it's time we make a move. Amen. Now, let's be patient. You know, General, we have drugs that will make you talk. Nothing's changed, Colonel. Most unfortunate. Germans have totally penetrated MI6. Know every move we make almost before we make it. Lieutenant, drop that gun. What? Drop that gun and sit down. What the hell are you talking about? Sit down. <laughs> Lieutenant, in the next 15 minutes we have to create enough confusion to get out of here alive. Major, right now you got me about as confused as I ever hoped to Pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Button up my sleeve. 
Presto! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Freedom Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Running right your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the archive page. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing well, although I just realized that uh, you might have said that exact same spiel last week and couldn't see us live, but. That's okay. Well, that's true. You know, I mean, <laughs> welcome back. And uh, we were on a uh, two-week, uh, well, I was, and Bobby was, actually, working in Orlando, right? Tell yeah, what so you're doing. I just figured that uh, it would be uh, easier if we just got our uh, great little series there um, all done with our Peter Brock series done ahead of time. So It worked out real good. So, well, and to continue with our design series uh, theme that we're working on, I have another uh, former design head, uh, in this case, of Ford Global Design. He'll be on the show here in a few minutes, so uh, we're looking forward to that. Because this is interesting, because we're going back to the 50s now, and a lot of the cars that are running around today, a lot of the concept cars for these cars and the ideas were developed back in the 50s. A lot of it evolved out of the space age. So, um, let's see what we got going on this weekend. Well, obviously, if you want to find out where all the car shows are, you go to flacarshows.com. But the, uh, our good friends at HSR are doing the Walter Mitty in uh, Atlanta, at, at the uh, Atlanta, um, uh, Road Atlanta, that's it. And also, this weekend, for those of you that uh, are in the uh, tow truck or storage business or towing business, uh, the Florida Tow Show is this weekend, right? I don't know if anything else is going on this weekend. Yeah, I think we just passed the <coughs> downtown Inverness car show. Oh, yeah, that was this past weekend. And, of course, uh, so was the, um, what do they call it? Oh, yeah, the Villages car show, which we also oh, yeah. typically go to. But what I did is I did something kind of, went, kind of interesting. I went down to Jupiter, Florida this past weekend, and there's a huge show down there. It's an annual show as well, but it hasn't been around for two years because of COVID and all the other stuff going on. And it's called Wheels Across the Pond. And it started out... Um, just a couple of British guys sitting around a, a pub, had a couple of British cars and thought, why don't we... Uh, a, a bloody good time. Bloody good time, I might. And uh, let's go out and uh, let's just uh, drive our cars to the... Uh, after we... Before we drink a pint, as they say, uh, and stand around our cars for a while. Um, anyway, so it evolved into this large show. There's about 300 cars. Well, now, this year, I think, and then perhaps maybe one, one other year, they experimented by inviting... Uh, other cars, other European cars. So they had Italian cars, they had French cars, they had uh, German cars, of course. And uh, it was very, very nice. It was at the uh, Carlin Park in Jupiter, Florida, which is really a nice area. It's only about a half an hour south of uh, Stuart, which is about a half an hour south of Vero, which is about three hours west of uh, or east of uh, Clearwater. But it's definitely a fun drive because I just went diddy button down US 1 and, you know, or A1. 
A1? Is it A1? Is that what it's called? Highway 1 or whatever it's A1A. Called? A1A, something like that. Or yeah. US1. US1. That's it, US1. That's the 19 of the East Coast. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I've, I've been going there on and off since the 70s because we used to go down for the Miami Boat Show, and it's just really, really changed. It's built up quite a bit. So, you know, we're complaining about it over here. It's They're pretty active over there as well. Of course, a couple of weeks ago, Bear Jackson took place down in West Palm Beach. A lot of car stuff going on. Uh, a lot more going to happen this summer and a lot of cool shows. So, um, so Bobby, you were in Orlando over this past week doing what? Uh, Dr. Phillips, had there was a festival going on in Orlando? Yeah, a big UCF festival thing. But anyway. You can um, talk about that. You can say what it was a little bit. Just fulfilling my obligations from uh, Christmas time. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, okay. Anyway, um, I guess you don't want to talk about it, but you know, just it was a festival. It was a music festival, arts festival. It was yes. a plays, theater, and all that other kind of good stuff. Bobby, build yourself up. This is the whole idea on the show. You got to make yourself look really, really, really good because that's that's what I tell all my guests. I said, "Well, if you come on the show, build yourself up. Here's an opportunity to do so." So don't be bashful. At any rate, um, we are going to uh, fire up the stereo here, and we're going to go ahead and get our guests on the show. And uh, stay tuned. This should be a real interesting conversation because there are going to be some interesting names are going to be popping up here. So uh, um, this is going to be historic design names, people, names of uh, legendary automobile designers, you know, and. Um, you know, like these are the guys that kind of created this kind of stuff. I mean, Graham, we got some pretty neat stuff out there nowadays, but you know, these cars, these concept cars, these Futurama cars, you know, they were pretty. You know, especially during the space age, because never before was anything designed like that. Today, what we have really, I don't think we really have interestingly designs. I think cars are the designs are overshadowed by all the technology in the cars, and I think the cars are just overcomplicated. Um, but you know what? We're going to get this design gentleman on the show and we're going to get a get an opinion from him bobby go ahead and play a little music and then we'll call our guests and we'll have him on the show unless you want to say something we're going to find out if our uh our our rants about the uh about today's cars are uh validated (laughs) yeah something to that effect all right so midnight sun let's hear that yeah okay you tune into nostalgic reading cars here's a little here's a real classic for you
could see the midnight sun Was ever such a night It's a thrill I still don't quite believe But after you were gone There was still the stardust on my sleeve The flame of it may dwindle to an ember And the stars forget to shine And we may see the meadow in December I see white and crystal But oh, my darling, always I'll remember When your lips were close to mine And I saw the midnight sun This is Etzel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm delighted to welcome our guest here. Let me, let me tell you a little something about him for us. Um, when he was born many years ago, um, he had a Ford logo. Well, he wanted a Ford logo stamped on his little windy Hindi. The other thing that I read up on, which is something that this is a man after my own heart, even though he was a designer and an artist and all that other good stuff, he is quoted as saying, I couldn't draw a Chevy if I tried. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening the former vice president of Ford Global Design, Jack Talnack. The fabulous Jack Talnack. How you doing, Jack? Hey, great, Robert. How are you this evening? Pretty good. So uh, this this is a long time coming, so I've been looking forward to this show. And uh, th- this is part of the uh, continuation series that we did with Peter Brock on um, automobile designers, you know, legendary automobile designers that uh, made a significant impact um, in the industry and to, uh, with cars that we, we all know, love, and can identify with. And particularly in your case, uh, you had uh, some notable influences on – the Fox Body Mustang, primarily, and uh, and some of the early '65 Mustang. Oh yeah, well that, that was a pretty exciting program. The sixty, actually the '64 and a half. Uh, Ford assembled a small team of young designers. I happened to be young at that time, and uh, we're having a meeting over at the Dearborn Inn. Our client leader Joe Morris at the time did a little brainstorming on what the car should look like. Uh, and I, very excited. Of course, Lee Iacocca was leading the program. Uh, I had the, uh, I was very involved in the fast, the first fastback. I think I still have some of the sketches around. But uh, my claim to fame there on the on the, must, the original Mustang was I did the wheel covers, Robert. The wheel covers, okay, yeah. they're they're notable. Proud. Yeah, they, they must have been good because a lot of them were stolen. <laughs> well, now there's. Different variations of that. There was allegedly a wire wheel style, and then there was a the plain Jane factory one, and then there was one 
that had a spinner on it, which was an option. So, which one did you which one did you t- lay claim to? Yeah, it was. I'm looking at one right now at my office. It was a plain J one, and we just put the spinner right in the center of that one. Right. Now, let me ask you this. So as a young designer, being involved in a Mustang, and, when the Mul- and we just came off April 17th, which is basically the anniversary of the introduction of the Mustang in 1964, did you own a Mustang back in the day? Oh, I had one as soon as they came out, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I had to have, had to have one. In fact, I had a, remember, say, convertible. Yeah. Uh, dark green, I would say British racing green. Uh-huh. Uh, black interior uh, at the rally pack on the steering column. Okay. Which was stolen one evening when I was uh, after after work when we were all gathering at the Woody House in Dearborn, usual hangout for designers in those days. Uh-huh. And uh, I came, didn't even realize it was gone. <laughs> the rally pack, I think I had too many martinis. I'm not sure what the problem was. <laughs> okay. I, I realized it the next morning when I got up and said, wow, somebody stole my rally pack. But yeah. I remember going back to the dealership to order another one. Having the car parked in front of the dealership, I think I could have sold it a half a dozen times. People came up to me saying, hey, I want to buy it, I want it. I said, no, I just got it. I can't, I can't sell it. <laughs> so, oh yes, I had one, yes. I oh. sold it to uh, one of our young designers who uh, took it down to Mexico. So it uh, found it living in Mexico City after I owned it. So when, when, when the Mustang came out, you as designers in Inside Ford, did you have to wait till the release, or were you able to get a car, like a pre-production car? Okay. Was there, I mean, you know, since the, the car was hot as could be, uh, did you have to wait, or were there plenty of them out there? I know they were a very high-production car. Uh, did you have to wait to get one, or did you get one right away? I think I, I waited a bit, but uh, nobody expected it to be as successful as it was, really. Uh, so, no, no, they didn't realize when I, because I ordered it ahead of time, of course, before it was introduced. But uh, uh, it, it wasn't a very long wait from what I recall. But then, then the wait started once people realized how hot the car was. Uh, the wait became longer and longer. So take us, um, take us inside the design studio back in the day when, when they first proposed the Mustang, where you first found out about it. Tell it, What was that like? Was it as it, was it as exciting uh, for you and... Um, you know, new, being a new car, I, we know that it was based basically on the on the Falcon, and uh, but but the car, the marketing, the the you know the 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 PR behind it back in the day, what was that like? Well, yeah, yeah, it was exciting. Of course, Iacocca led the program, and he was an exciting guy to be around anytime. And uh, I can still remember when we had our first meeting. Joe Orris gathered us young designers, and we're, uh, going on about what, what the theme of the car should be. And we decided that, uh, actually, Joe Orris decided that he wanted a uh, formal sporting coupe. He wanted that C-pillar to look like the, uh, similar to uh, Con- uh, Lincoln Continental uh, full C-pillar on it. Uh-huh. Very formal. And we thought, well, we can make that work. Then he wanted me, we decided we had to have a mouth on the car, a very sporty front-end mouth. And uh, so he, he pretty much... Uh, we visually laid out the parameters for the design of the car there. But you're right, putting it on the Falcon platform uh, was a little bit of a surprise for everyone. But uh, the Hal Spurlick was the chief product planner on the program, 
they had a skunk works going in Dearborn, off-site in Dearborn, putting the pieces together, saying they could really make it work. And that was the only way they could really make the car work, too, is they have a lot of interchangeability with the Falcon. And uh, I, so, it, again, it, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was exciting because we were able to take a Falcon platform, and people said, how do you make a Falcon into a, a hot car like a Mustang? Well, we, that's what designers do. That obviously happened. Now, do you when 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 you're tasked with this um, idea, um, you're not dealing with bean counters or anything like that. You're not dealing with production. You're not dealing with engineers. It's basically all the designers coming up with a concept, and then you draw, then you build a scale model, then you build a life size clay model, and then what happens after that? I mean, am I kind of is that kind of the the process right there? Did I kind of Touch hit it right. But yeah. Normally that, that that's it. But I don't recall doing any scale models, Robert. We just went. Uh, we we were I think so zeroed in on the concept of this uh, formal sportiness, uh, as I said, with a formal seat color, long hood, short deck, uh, long hood to suggest more performance. You know, with large ridge, etc. Uh, we we went right into the full size clay model, and I don't. And there were a number of very. Uh, full-size models done, but I don't recall. I just don't recall any scale models done in this one. We, we knew what we wanted. Uh, it, 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 uh, it developed very quickly. So back in those days, when you were working at, let's just say, the drawing board, as they say, is this right. like a drafting table like I had in school when I was drafting, or is this a life-size, full, one-scale, you know, one-to-one, life-size scale where you draw everything uh, as if it was... Um, the real deal going on the car? No, no. It, 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 they were more like, they definitely were like drafting tables. Okay. Uh, we did have the full-size tables in the studios also that our engineers used to lay out the full-size measurements of the car. But we would go from uh, from sketches uh, to to full-size tape drawings, black tape drawings on, on paper, on vertical boards. Uh, that, that was a fairly typical process that we always used for all car lines, and uh, then done from that, take sections off the tape drawing, apply them to the, uh, the modelers, but apply them to the scale to the full size model, full size clay model. Now, do the designers like yourself? Do you get involved with 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 the clay models themselves, or is that a, uh, another group of designers or people that uh, work within the design studio? Oh no, absolutely. The designers. Uh, were very involved with the clay modelers, as we call them sculptors. Uh-huh. You know, when I walked out of the studio, I had about a ton of clay on my shoes. <laughs> we were very close to it, all, all it had to be. And we were working on the clay model again with uh, adjusting lines on it with uh, uh, black uh, black photographic tape, different different widths of it to get a fender line or to open a wheel opening or change the roof line or whatever it might be. But uh, no, no, it, we, we were we were right up with the uh, Sculptors on the clay model, definitely. So when you're doing the wheel wells, let's just say the wheel arches, do you have a real wheel there, or is this a, a wood wheel or a mock-up of some kind, or how do they do that so you can get the you know get the right wheel arches and everything like that? As an example, no, no, we had we had real wheels because the the buck the the wooden buck that the clay was applied to right had real real wheels on it, definitely. Yeah. Oh, so the bucks are roll they're a rolling buck then, is what you're saying? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, are they are the bucks basically a generic um, uh, uh, 
layout and then you build on that? Or do they somewhat have a design contour to what the car ultimately should look like? Yeah, well, definitely for the Mustang, it was not a generic buck because the proportions were so different. Uh huh. So, no, it, it was, uh, those were unique bucks that we used, very definitely. Okay. So now, once you got the clay model done, who comes down and basically puts their blessing on it? Besides Lee Iacocca, obviously. <laughs> but, yeah, but uh, then uh, Bill Ford at the time, uh-huh. the overall design, not Bill Ford, who's running the company now, but his father. Right. Uh, William, William Clay Ford, I should say. Okay. He was the, put the final blessing on all of our designs. And, of course, Henry mm-hmm. was there, too. But Henry, at the time, Henry was... Uh, very concerned about the project. He wasn't sure that uh, this would be a successful way to go. This, you know, this was just he. But I could convince him that we could do a car like this, and that there was a market for it. And uh, yeah, I well, could convince Henry that uh, this is. It. Henry said, "Hey, if you don't sell over a hundred thousand of these the first year, you know, you're out of here." And because he just got just got stung with the uh, with the Etzel. And this was a, you know, an incredible investment to get this Mustang going. But uh, as it turned out, it was so successful that uh, Henry and everybody fell in love with the whole program. It wasn't, it wasn't a problem at all. And so Iacocca was very relieved when he saw those sales numbers rolling in. When they um, – now, simultaneously, Ford was kind of getting involved in their racing program. They were ramping the racing program up too, right? So did the Mustang – was there, I mean, before Shelby got involved, was there, must, there discussion about the Mustang being some sort of a performance race car, along with the GT40 that was, you know, in development right about the same time? Yeah, there was a lot of talk about it. And, of course, the, the car that uh, had the strongest influence, I don't know if you recall it now, there was a little two-seater Mustang that was right. produced at Watson a couple of years before the Mustang came out. And it was called a Mustang. But it, it was done by, uh, oh, gee, Phil. Oh, can't think of his last name right now. And he, uh, but it did. Of course, the, the real Mustang didn't look anything like that, but it didn't matter. The, the, the Mustang already had a, developed a good image. You know, it was a, the name was magic. It really was. Uh, so, but that, that car influenced the design of the car, even though it was a totally different car. But the name got, the, got everybody excited about it, and even though, that was a two-seater, and the real Mustang was a two-plus-two. Two. Everybody associated it with that racing version that, that was at Watkins Glen. And it, uh, it was a nice connection. It was a great connection to have. When So you worked on the initial 64-and-a-half car. Were you involved in any of the other Mustang projects later down the road? Besides, oh, before we get to the Fox body, in other words, the, like the, any of the first-generation Mustangs? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. It, it, it was involved in probably most of them. Uh, and especially the the one we call the flatback. I don't I don't know what year that would have been. Was that about 70? 71, 72, 73. Okay, and uh, yeah, and that was one where we put the uh, first. Uh, we had the first soft bumpers on that car, the uh, styrofoam bumpers that uh, blended into the body and all. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. So it was a it was a huge car, by the way. It was. And then we came down in size after that. But yes, I was involved in a number of them. Uh, even I was even uh, a bit involved in the Mustang II, uh, which was uh, a lot of people didn't feel that that was a, a real Mustang, but it was done during the fuel crisis at the time. And uh, that's the 
that would be 70, uh, 74 to 78. Yes, correct. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but on the other hand, you know, whenever we have a we have a Mustang gathering, which I've attended a number of them around the country, uh, I've seen a number of those that have been tricked up a little bit with bigger wheels, you know, get the wheels out to the extremities, and uh, they look pretty good. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, it wasn't, wasn't a bad car, but then after that, we, we did get into the Fox Mustang. And that, I, I got in the Fox Mustang after I came back from an assignment in Europe. Okay, so take us through the through, through the, the chronological order. Okay, so the, the Mustang two, how involved were you invo- in that? I mean, basically, it, the running joke is, well, the, the original Mustang was a Falcon. So let's just really demean it now. Let's just take it down to Pinto levels, and, and I'm not going to laugh because I actually own a Pinto, okay? I like Pintos. But the Mustang, too, and I remember when it first came out in 74, it was like, oh, no, oh, no, we're in trouble now. Because, you know, look at the second-gen Camaros and Firebirds. I mean, they just went on and just slaughtered the Mustang until they came out with the Cobra, too. And, um, but the Mustang, too, is just kind of like a, an anomaly. It's just a story in its own. And then when you guys came out with the Fox body, so you went to Europe for a while when? In the mid-70s? Yeah, I went to Europe, uh, let's see. Uh, I came back from Australia. I was in Australia for four years. Came back to the U.S. for a few years. Went over to Europe. I came back in uh, 77. Okay. US. That's when we actually started the uh, uh, Fox Body Mustang, which was the 70, uh, yeah, 79 Mustang. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget it because I remember, boy, I... I had a studio set up with some of the top designers in the Ford Motor Company, Gene Bourdain, Boeing, when I came back from Europe. Uh, by the way, it was Henry Ford II who uh, requested that I come back to the U.S. I was very proud of that. And uh, he, wanted, he wanted something different with this Mustang. He didn't. Uh, uh, he and Iacocca had some different views on the way the Mustang should go at the time. Uh-huh. And he wanted something different. So I think he wanted a bit of a European flavor to the car, and uh, so that's when I, I, I put this team together, a team of designers together, had my own studio, he bored me, gave me the, he let me pick my own designers, which was great, and uh, I remember they're sketching, and we did, we were doing all these full, the full-size layouts of the car, and walking into the studio, and the designer had a, a, a typical review, the designer said, okay, uh, Jack, which one do you like? I said, no, 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 I, I don't operate that way. I was just new with these guys. I said, I want you to tell me which ones you like, which one you, 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 you're designing these, you're proposing them, tell me which ones you really are really hot. I said, I'll come back in a week or so and guys work. And we did it. So it was a different, instead of a top-down sort of decision-making process, I wanted to hear from the guys on the boards who were doing these things. And uh, that, they, they were surprised, but... Uh, uh, they were delighted when I, I came in and let them express themselves and tell, tell us how they wanted to do it. And, and uh, that's when we did the, you know, we had a notch back and a fast back. Uh, they, they, I let, but I let them uh, uh, select the, draw, the drawings that they liked and went into play from these full-size drawings on that, that program. Now, was that a little bit different in corporate culture back in the day? Was that something you brought? Was that something that was more along the lines of what goes on in Europe? You brought that to America. You kind of influenced your design team and said, "Look, I want you guys to create this." Um, yeah, it, it was definitely a break with our normal culture here in, in uh, Dearborn. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It, it wasn't even that. I, I can't say it was a, a, a technique or a, 
process that was used in Europe, but it was it was my own process. I just believed in this because, you know, being uh, I mean, up in the company since I was a young guy, everything was top down, and I thought if I ever get into a position where I can do something about that, I want to hear I want to hear what the young guys have to say. These are young products and all, so it, it was a, a very definitely distinct departure from the normal process. But the guys seemed to like it, and you know they were they were more involved in the process. We we're using, we we're picking their brains with this, and uh, it it, uh, it really seemed to work, and it, it, I think it gave us a good card. When you were in Europe, or let's go to Australia, you were involved in the Australian Falcon. Now, is that the same car that we all kind of identify with? It looks a little bit like a cross between a Mustang and a Torino, and it's kind of like the car that was used in the uh, Mad Max series. Yes, uh, but when I got there, we were uh, we were building the we were building the U.S. Falcon. That was because I was in Australia. I went to Australia in '66. Oh, okay. Science. We had no design work down there at all. We were just importing, bringing in actually. Ford Australia at the time was under Ford of Canada. We were just selling the Canadian uh, Falcon, if you will, uh-huh. and uh, which was a nice car. But it, uh, but we were uh, doing some fairly tough competition from GM Holden, and uh, we we took that we took that car and uh, Bill Burke, by the way, was running the company. He was the managing director of the company in Australia. And he told us, hey, we, uh, "What can you do with this car? How can you you know change it?" And we, uh, glad you mentioned Mustang again, because when we got to the, the one model, call, I don't recall exactly what year it was, but we called it the XW Falcon, and it had a, uh, we, ch- we changed the front, the rear quarter, and all, but it kept the body central. And uh, we put a, a Mustang mouth front of that car, if you will. It, it was the same grill over the Mustang mouth. And the theme of the car that year was there's more Mustang and Falcon this year. And people really bought it because everybody, everybody around the world knew what a Mustang was. I mean, there were a few real Mustangs in Australia. They, what they called uh, it was the gray market, you know, the dealer uh-huh. would just and then convert them to uh, right hand drive. But uh, there, there were very few. But everybody knew what a Mustang was, probably because of the movies that it was in and all. And uh, so when we did that to the Mustang, it really, to the Falcon, I should say, it, uh, it really caught on. And it, uh, people really. That they were getting more of a Mustang feel with this, with a, you can imagine, with a four-door sedan, thinking that it was more Mustang, but it was. It, it worked. It really clicked. And Bill Burke was very, uh, very happy, very proud of that car, and it, it connected. And then uh, after that, we got into the, uh, the X. We call it the XA series. That's when that's when we had an all-new clean sheet of paper Falcon. This. Uh, Bunky Newson was running the company at that time here, back here in Dearborn. Uh, he gave us uh, a go-ahead to do a, an all-unique Falcon for Australia, designed by Australians for Australians. And I, when I started the studio down there, by the way, I brought in local talent. We've, we've trained. I, I brought a few clay uh, sculptors down from Detroit and a couple of designers, a couple of designers from England, our studio in England. Brian Ross, who was one of them, and Alan Jackson was another. And uh, we trained the designers down there. We brought designers in. And I picked up a couple of designers from GM Holden, by the way, and, uh, and started the studio and started training the designers and modelers both. And that's when we really, really turned the place on. And Bunky Newton gave us the go-ahead to do a completely new, uh, from the ground up, uh, Falcon. Uh, it, it really turned on. And uh, uh, 
And I'll never forget it because we, we designed the car. Uh, the first one was a four-door, four-door all-new car, all-new sheet metal, and we had to bring recreate the model back in Dearborn. This was before computers, okay? Had to recreate the car in Dearborn, get management approval on it. I guess you could say it would have been easier to have Bucky News and Henry Ford come down to Australia to see it, but it's just the way it was in those days. We brought we brought the brought the designers back, Brian Rossi and Alan Jackson, and recreated the car in Dearborn. And uh, Gene Bourdain came to the use of uh, one of the studios there, and one of the designers that was running that studio was uh, brought into the company by uh, Bucky Newson, and they, so he had he had him do one half the model, full size model. My Australian team did the other half of the model. I'll never forget the day Bunky Newson came to us and came to me and he said, but he let, he let, uh, uh, it was Dave, uh, Dave, uh, Turner, who did the one half of the model, asked him what he, why he proposed that. And he asked me why I proposed on my side. And I told him, I said, well, look, I'm living in Australia. I know what the market is. I know what Holden's doing, of the direction they're moving in. This is the side that we worked in Bucky Newton and just said, okay, that's the side. Now, my guys, my whole team was just elated. He gave us the, the go ahead to go ahead and do the car. And then it was after he approved that four-door, we went back to Australia and did the two-door. The one of you said it was used at Mad Max. Right. Uh, by the way, that those those uh, Falcons now, like the one that was used at Mad Max, are worth are worth a fortune in Australia. They really, the price is incredible on them. I, I, I still stay in touch with one of the uh, older people down there who keeps me in touch with, uh, with, with how the prices are going on those cars. And that, that one is that one is really hot. It still is hot. Good car. Well, we were at Dearborn, let's see, I think they had a big Ford deal back around 2013, 2014. There was actually a few of those cars there. And uh, you're absolutely right. They're extremely sought after, highly collectible, and uh, a brilliant, very nicely done car. So congratulations on that. That was a beautiful car, by the way. Thank you. And I, I really have to give credit to uh, one of our designers that he's from the U.K., and that was Brian Rossi, Alan Jackson, who did that car. And, uh, yeah, it was very, very successful. And, and we, uh, by the way, well, even when we, get, when we did the first uh, facelift on the, I'll say, the Canadian Falcon, all of a sudden, we were because GM was beating us bad, and we so we overtook GM. And then when we brought out the XA Falcon, the four door, and the, the hot two door, uh, we we surpassed GM. Everybody, everybody in Ford is just delighted the way that worked out. Obviously. Well, now that brings us to the Fox Body Mustang. Okay, from seventy nine to eighty to ninety three. So take us through the evolution of the Fox Body because. That's another car, another story where you finally whipped GM into submission because the 302 Fox Body Mustang, even to this day, still smokes a Chevrolet in its class. Yeah. Well, again, that was when I tried my, got rid of the top down management style at Ford and uh, wanted the designers to really tell me what they thought in it. And, uh, and once we worked out the proportions on that car, by the way, we thought it was difficult. Uh, uh, doing a uh, uh, a Mustang off uh, off a Pinto or a, or a Mustang off of the uh, Falcon. Well, now with the Fox with the Fox body, 
we were doing we were doing the fox body busting off a Fairlane platform. Yeah, Fairmont, yeah. <laughs> Fairlane, I said, hey, wait a minute, we're we're great, but we're not magicians. How are you going to pull this off? But uh, I said so I did something different. Well, to say my designers did. Uh, I have I have one theory on on design. If you want a hot car. You want interchangeability with the body because when you're using a platform and trying to get platform flexibility and do several different cars, several different models on one platform, uh, which the Japanese always talk about, but we've been doing it for years, by the way. Uh, said, if you want a hot car, uh, give me a low cowl where the, where the windshield intersects the hood. That is low as you can. And that's, by the way, the most expensive car, most expensive piece of real estate on a car that uh, has to be, uh, it's, it's expensive if you have to change it. You just don't change it. You're locked into it once you settle on a platform. So I actually, but on this one, since I couldn't lower the uh, cowl on that uh, airlane platform, I raised the cowl to get more slope to the hood of the car. I mean, it was you know, 100 degrees, 180 degrees, contrary to what I've always been preaching. Give me a low cowl and give me a hot car. Well, this one, Designers are a little shaken up, but I said, no, let's raise the cowl this time so we can get some slope to the hood. And it really works. It was, an, it was a, a different sort of attack to take on that project, but, but it worked. Uh, and then the car, uh, of course, had a very, it was very taut, and it was a complete departure from the uh, Mustang 2. Uh, Mustang oh, yeah, and by st- in, in, in all respects. Um, uh, was, yeah, no Really, but but uh, but Henry Henry Ford wanted something different. He really did, and he and you know we just had the, the slats of the grill, the lean back grill, a very arrow grill, which I uh, I, I I think I the reason for Henry Ford I think approved that is because I sold uh, I convinced Henry Ford in Europe yet Henry Ford the second that we we got to get rid of our vertical front ends and go to more arrow front ends and lean back front ends. Uh, I had a little assistance from Bob Lutz. Bob Lutz was with our company at the time, and he yeah. supported me 100%. Just a great guy to work with, by the way. And uh, so when we did this uh, 79 Mustang, the Fox Mustang, I had, uh, we, we were able to slant back in front of it, which was a little bit unusual here in Detroit. And uh, the, the body was very trim. It had a lot of plant view of the body side and the front end and all. Uh, and it was, uh, I I don't say it today, but at the time it was it was uh, a bit European. I think that was part of the charm of the car. It, it worked, and of course that we uh, we did a, uh, some special models because we we were uh, the car ran in any it was a base car in Indianapolis. In, I think '79, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had a number of those base cars running around town too. But uh, yeah, it was it was a. It was, it was a total a total departure for it was a real breakthrough from what Mustang had been doing to that date, uh, and it was uh, very successful. Now the Mercury Capri was basically a similar car, so we involved in, you were obviously involved in the design of the Capri as well. Which personally, I thought the '79 Capri was a fairly classy looking car all throughout its production through '86. I think they made the Capri, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's uh, well, you know what we did. <clears throat> we always had a theory back there, and I. I think our competitors did too. If you want to have uh, uh, the cars, had to look different. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, if the cars look different. You better do them in separate studios." Well, again, I flipped that concept around. I said, "No, no, no. 
we'll do the car side by side and make sure that the cars have enough differential so people recognize a Capri and recognize a Mustang. And we did. We had it. And to this day, the body central was common, but the the front uh, front quarter and rear quarters are obviously different. Rear end's different. And uh, it was something different that we tried there again in our... uh, the whole design uh, process by having the car side by side in the same studio and uh, making sure that the cars, the designs were different and recognizably different. And uh, it worked. Yeah, cause, yeah, I agree the Capri was a neat car. So they, the initial body, so from 79 to 82, we had coupes and fastbacks or hatchbacks in the Mustang, hatchbacks only in the Capri. And then was it 83, they we they changed the rules, the laws, the safety uh, requirements, and then you finally came out with a convertible, which continued on to this day, basically, but as far as Fox bodies through 83, 93. So t- take us through the, the convertible development design. Well, engineering had a lot to do with that, uh pull it off first and I remember I think it was Stu Fry who was our chief engineer at the time and they they became very because we uh, normally we uh, had those convertibles uh, were built offline at an outside supplier but uh, this one was done in house engineering had a lot to do with that and I mean under design supervision of course mm-hmm. but uh, but we were, we were delighted to be able to do a convertible on that platform and it worked when you sit there in the design studios, of course, you have, you have the different models. You have the base model, you have the LX, for example, and then, you, of course, you have the GT. So how does the, how does the discussion go? I mean, what, so what, how do you determine how, how far, to what extent, let's say, because you did the skirts a little bit different, the front air dam's different, you got the fog lights on the GT, the taillights obviously were different, um, the deck lid's a little bit different because it had the rear... Um, uh, luggage rack thingy on it, just an interior, different interior trim. How, how does all that whole process work? Is that is that something that is is a a quick process, or is that something that 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 takes time to kind of kick the ideas around and, and and get kind of a unanimous decision on which direction you're going to go? Well, it does take a bit of time, and of course, we're working with our product planners and our finance people, and so. Uh, there are a lot of cost issues involved in these changes. Okay, it can only go so far. Uh, and, uh, but again, uh, I, I always believe a good designer can work around these challenges and uh, come up with good ideas that will work and within the cost parameters that they're pro- uh, projecting there. But uh, but it's a it's just a, a just another process. But uh, the, the team has to work it out, and we know we. The, the planners set up, uh, you know, tell us how many different models they want, and then we we meet the objective after that. Then, it, then it's in the designer's hands to do it and deliver on that promise. What's it like as a designer, and you come up with a really good concept, and and it's unanimous, and you guys all know this would work basically, and then the bean counter step in there and say, "No, nope, we ain't doing this. This is going to cost too much. We have to stay within this budget. This is our parameters." And then do you ever say, no, 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 no. We're trying to sell cars, and design and style is, is very important when it comes to selling cars because people look at that, and that makes helps them make their decision. I mean, take us through that process. We've got a few minutes left here, so let's uh, – Sure. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, 
probably one of the best examples of that is on, on the original uh, chorus that we did. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a, a breakthrough design, and the we went through market research on that car. And by the way, while they're going through all the market research, we had one clay model in the studio that really didn't change. But we're getting feedback from the market research, and uh, uh, market research people kept coming back saying, "Well, you know, the, the first Taurus was a clean front end; it was just a, a elliptical opening with a floating Ford oval in it." And by by the way, we uh, I I and my team in Europe started putting the Ford Oval back in our cars in Europe. It had been gone for years, and we introduced it in, in back in the U.S. after I came back here, because Henry Ford put his Ford Oval back in the car. Anyway, when we, uh, so we, when we did the uh, original Taurus, uh, it was, there was no grill on it. Marketing people went nuts. I said, you can't, you know, we've been part of research that people want a grill on the car. So we finally put, uh, did a, uh, one model with a, a grill texture on it, and the other model was the original model that we've been working on for quite some time. And when it came down to the final approval date, William Clay Ford was there, who makes the final decision. And he, uh, it was his, his call, he, uh, because I think the guy had an innate sense of design, he really did. He, you know, he was very involved with all the Continentals that we did, and uh, some of those beautiful cars. And uh, he he said, hey, we're going with the car. We're going with the, with the design with that floating oval in the, in the oval front end of that car. That's it. I about ran up and kissed him. I said, wow, <laughs> that's fantastic. I mean, he, he talked about making my day. And then it made the day for the car, too. It really, obviously, it, 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 it broke all the rules. And uh, it didn't have to listen to market research, although I have nothing against market research in it. I, I found some in some cases where market research was important, where it really worked. But not not that often. But if I can just digress for a minute, I know in Europe, when we were uh, doing the first uh, Ford Fiesta, which was uh, you know a small uh, V car, and uh, we were the the image car was the Volkswagen Polo, and I remember we were in the market research up in Frankfurt, Germany. We were walking around the car, and the our our Fiesta was winning on side view, rear view, interior, but everything except the front end we were in. We were getting very close to production, and management said, we've got to do something about that front end. They were willing to actually stop, uh, you know, delay production and change the sheet metal on the front end. All of a sudden, one of our designers, English designer, who spoke German, was walking around the model, and at lunchtime, and a, a German Fraulein was there, and she looked at her, and she said to him in German, she didn't know he was a Brit, how do you like the car? He asked her, hi, lady. She says, I like the car, but that front end, I don't like the front end. He says, why? Why don't you like the front end? She said, well, that, that grill, the grill texture, it, it's gray. He says, well, what's wrong with that? She said, it should be black. I said, what? He says, it has to be black. So the guys came in at lunchtime and put, put, put a cry on it, taped it off and sprayed the grill texture black, and all of a sudden the ratings went off the charts. It was just one little one little clue like that that we picked up in Mars. So I, I can't badmouth market research. There are times when it can be very helpful, and in that case, it was really helpful. And though we were able to get into that, get that in the car, get that car into production on time. Jack, we are up against the clock, but here's the deal. I have a whole bunch more questions. We didn't get Jack to talk a little about Gordon Burek. I know you're a uh, fan of him. Tremulous, Alex Tremulous, uh, a little bit more about Bardet. I want to talk a little bit about the Lincoln, some of the other stuff that you did. Would you be willing to come back next week and let's do part two? Sure, yeah, I'd love to. 
I'd love to have you back. Um, this is fascinating. I love the history. I got a list. I got a litany of questions there. I've been making notes and everything like that. And I really, truly enjoyed the conversation. And I'm very thankful and grateful that you came on the show this evening. It's been very informative, very educational. And it's fascinating, you know, because I, I, you know, being in the car business myself, I was in the other end of it. I was in the wrecking yard end of it. So when you guys built them, I basically took them apart after they got crashed so and, and sold the parts. So that's kind of like my connection with the car di- business as well as classics and antiques. But we look forward to having you again uh, for part two next week. I look forward to it, too. Ask me about the wrecking business because i got a good story on that. Okay, I will definitely do that. Jack, thank you very much. I want to thank my special guest, Jack Talneck, former head of uh, Ford Global Design. And just, uh, you know, it's funny because we had Bob Lutz on, too. So it's coincidental that, you know, everybody kind of crossed paths. And, and, uh, and again, thank you. And we look forward to seeing you next week. My pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out every Tuesday for some of the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports right here and music. And we will be doing our music. We'll be firing that up uh, sometime in May. But we got a whole bunch of really cool car guys coming on. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on Tantalk Radio Network. There's a whole bunch of car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.